Good morning. Good morning. Morning, everybody in Buffalo, people who are watching online. Uh, it's certainly an amazing time to be alive. Uh, one of the cool things is that for the rest of our lives and probably throughout the rest of history, people will talk about this time that we have been alive. So if nothing else, you will sort of in a roundabout kind of way be remembered, uh, which is kind of cool. And we'll, right, we'll always have something in common, the days that we were forced to wear masks and weird stuff and social distance and all those crazy things. Uh, but speaking of strange things happening, um, you know, as, as we start to have more and more of the ability to connect and get together, uh, I bumped into somebody at the grocery store, you know, sort of bumped into them as far as much as you could six feet away, bump into them, uh, you know, and this person recognized me as, you know, one of their pastors and kind of came up to me. And this surprisingly happens more often than not. You know, he didn't say hi to me. Uh, he didn't, you know, try to hug me or fist bump me. He immediately came to me and said, you know, uh, you know, oh, Pastor Alex, I am so far from God, right? No hi, no hello, just this immediate confession booth in the middle of Sobeys, you know? And, and actually what this person said to me next um, kind of startled or startled or shocked me um, is that they said, you know, I, I'm so far from God, but I, have, I had no idea how much I missed going to church. Right, I'm so far from God, and I had no idea how much I missed going to church. And, and this is just the reality of where we find ourselves in the world today, right? So many things in our world are different. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I find myself often, you know, reminiscing on the good old days, right? And, and by good old days, I mean January and February of this year, you know, when there was not so many restrictions, there were not so many problems, you know, you could actually make plans with someone and go to their, you could travel or go on trips or, you know, you could walk around without a mask and not get shunned and re reminiscing about the good old days. You know, one of the things that I'm hearing all the time, you know, in the news and in the media is people are talking about that these are unprecedented times, right? It's, it's unprecedented what's happening. It's unprecedented what we're experiencing. And, and I don't know about you, but I find myself often wishing for a little bit of precedent, right? I, I've never so much wished my life to be average or go back to normal than in these unprecedented times. And it, you know, if you are around people or watching the media, you realize that people are, people are tense. People are easily agitated. People are really uneasy. People are fearful. People are feeling insecure. Some people are feeling terrified. I've heard reports of people still haven't left their houses. And, and, and it's wild, the things that are happening in the world right now. And, and in the midst of this, you know, the, the position that I have in lots of people's lives, I have the opportunity to talk to people and finding that so many people at the same time are feeling so disconnected, feeling, you know, hopeless, feeling frustrated. They're, you know, lacking confidence, you know, in themselves and, but also lacking confidence in the government and in the media. And I don't know what to believe. And is it real? Is it fake? Is it a hoax? Is it a conspiracy, right? Finding 
themselves really lacking direction, right? So many people have lost jobs or their job has now become, you know, unstable because of what's happening and they don't know what to do or maybe they're too, they're older in life and they're not sure if there's more opportunity for them, you know, and, and one of the, the worst things I think is that we're hearing so many people are drifting back into old destructive habits and patterns, right? You're, you know, talking to people and, and, and hearing their reports as so many people turning to, you know, drugs and alcohol and just different things in order to, to cope, not bad people, but just trying to cope with this crazy feeling of, of terror that so many, excuse me, so many people are facing. And, and I think that for a lot of people, and, and, and I would even venture to say maybe some of you in this room, maybe some of you watching online or in Buffalo, you feel like life just isn't working that well. And, and that's what I want to talk a little bit about this morning. You know, my title is Invisible Relationship, and, and I want to spend a little bit of time talking about church and the value of church. And, and while it might seem funny to talk about church while we're all in church, but I, I think that as we talk about this topic of the invisible and being the visible image and finding areas of life that we find God, I think that one thing that can often be overlooked one thing that can often, especially in our culture, be very simply replaced by other things is, is that most people find God, or in our culture, for most people, the most visible representation, the most tangible encounter that most people will experience with God, they find God in the four walls of a church. And that there are people right now in the world that are searching for answers. And they're searching for it in the government and in the media and in programs. But as the church, right, we don't just, we're going to talk about it, we don't just go to church, we are the church. And as the church, it's our responsibility in a dark world to begin to bring people to the place of encounter which is for so many people, the four walls of this church. I mean, the statistics of what's happening right now in churches is staggering that most people are forgetting. And maybe it's because we spent such a long season away from church, but forgetting the life, forgetting the connection that is so invaluable to our lives that you just can't experience behind a screen. So let's get into it this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that as we talk about the church, your church, your bride, your body, Lord, that you would ignite a passion in us, a reality, an understanding, God, that we don't just go to church, but that we are the church and that our mission is that we exist for the world. We thank you for your anointing and your presence today, that it changes us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I met this guy in the store and, you know, he says to me, I have no, I, you have no idea. I, I just couldn't believe it. Now that I see you, it's reminding me of how good it was. I have no idea how much I've missed church. You know, the root word for church uh, in the New Testament is this word ecclesia. And the, the reference of this word, we see it 107 times in the New Testament. 
So anybody who wants to tell you that church isn't important should probably take it up with the New Testament because it's in there a lot. And, and this word ecclesia actually is, 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 a, is a mash together of two separate words. And, and the first half of, of the word talks about that, that the, the church is meant to gather, that it's meant to be a place of gathering. And, but at the same time, the second half of that word is, is, is comprised of a word that means that we're called to go out. And so as the church, we're called to gather but we're also called to not just exist in the four walls of the church, but we're supposed to take what we receive in the church and begin to take it out to the world that's around us, right? Like the scripture says, what good is a candle if you just throw it up under a bed, right? It doesn't serve the purpose it was created for. And so if we think that church is only about gathering, then we miss the purpose. But if we think that it's not about gathering, then we also miss the purpose. And the writers of the New Testament were very clear to us to help us to understand that it's the meeting point between gathering and going, that that's what the church is all about. And Jesus was actually, you know, you might think that it was Paul or Peter, but Jesus was actually the first person to use this word ecclesia. He was the first person in the Bible to mention church. And for those of you, maybe you're familiar with the passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 16, what's happening is essentially Jesus gives a pop quiz to all of his disciples. You know, the, the backdrop is, you know, they're sitting kind of in this mountain area and, you know, probably just chatting like I'm sure that they did, you know, 12, 13 guys, probably best friends, just hanging around the campfire. And Jesus, as I imagine he is, he, he's always deep and he's always thinking about something really deep. And they're probably talking about lunch and Jesus is about to ask them, who does the world say that I am? And, you know, maybe they're making it up. Maybe they heard about it from somebody else. But we see these answers start to pop up all around, you know. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're Jeremiah or one other of the prophets. And, you know, then we see the text turn and, and Jesus addresses Peter. And Peter gives his response that we'll soon find out that he is inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's where this answer comes out of. It's not birthed out of human wisdom or something he had heard or experienced, but he's in this moment inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Peter says this, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the one that we've been waiting for. You are the son of the living God. And, and that's what it says in in verse 18, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, it says this. It says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we see in this text and we see as Jesus continues to walk through life, we see that Jesus loves his church. Jesus is invested in his church. Jesus goes so far as to give his life for his church. Church is not a casual thing to Jesus. It's not a happenstance thing. Jesus goes to the utmost extremes to ensure the future of his church. And, you know, I thought about this in my own life, how much church has affected me that so much of what has happened to me 
around me, at me, has happened because of church. And, 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 and I, I really, really quickly wrote this list down because it's scary sometimes to think about how much of my life revolves around the church. And it, starting off, you know, as a, a child, very, very young kid, I can remember being in worship services at my first church and, and encountering, experiencing the presence of God. I can remember feeling the call to ministry at maybe five or six years old, where I didn't necessarily know the words that it was for, but I knew that church was more than just something that we did. I can remember feeling drawn to God at different youth events and thank God for youth events because that once a year where I rededicated my life to God, I needed those moments. I'm pretty sure that I've been baptized as many teenage years as I have because I needed it. And, and I can remember that it was at church that I realized that I may not be saved, that I may not have my own personal relationship with God, that I was living out of something that was my parents. And, and I can remember the decision that I made. I was in, got into university, but I knew that if I didn't make a radical shift that I would never come back to my rightful place with God. And so I deferred going to university and I went, moved to Garden Valley, Texas population eight people to do an internship because I knew that I needed something radically jarring in order to uh, experience this right relationship with God. And it was in church services there that my heart was stirred and the thing, the relationship that had been my parents now had become my own. I can remember getting to the internship and, and I lived in a room that was maybe the center section of this stage. And as I walked in, I realized that I was not gonna have one or two or three or four, but I was gonna have five roommates on triple high bunk beds and my entire closet, everything I owned was about the size of a small YMCA locker. And I stood behind the door and I said to my mom, get me out of here. But I knew that I needed this because there was something in me that was drawing me. It was at this time in my life that I realized that I was actually really saved. One Sunday, I was so desperate to go to church that I walked for maybe 40 minutes down the street to get to a closed church because I needed to be at church. And I made new friends at church who were radically different than my old friends. I was discipled in church. I was challenged in church. I was mentored in church. I grew spiritually in church. I was healed of wounds in church. I was trained about new mindsets in church. I learned to give in church. I, I learned the value of generosity. I can remember being in my first church. I couldn't have been any older than maybe six or seven years old sitting behind beside a lady. And she handed me a $5 bill and told me that, you know, when we go into a place with God, that it's so important to, to bring an offering to him, to show him that he owns our heart. I, I learned these things at church. I learned about the the principles of increase. I learned how to be a better person all at church. I met my wife, Danielle, in church. Our first date. Well, she didn't know it was our first date, 
But our first date was in church. I filmed the testimony video of her. I coerced her in to get so that we could, and that was our first date, and, and we did it at church. And, and then for the last almost 10 years, we've grown together in church. I proposed to her in my church clothes right after church with some of your help. We prepared for our marriage. We, 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 we said our vows in front of people from church. I preached my first sermon, as bad as it was. I don't even know that you could call it preaching, but I did it in church. I can remember feeling the call into full-time ministry, my very purpose for existence in church. I've made lifelong ride or die friends in church. I've experienced some of my highest highs, some of my lowest lows, miracles and heartbreaks in church. My child now is being raised in church. When she was days old, her first outing out of my house was to come to church. She was dedicated to God to live in service of God for the rest of her life in church. She will from now till she is at least 18 where I can stop forcing her to do things. She will spend every Sunday in church. Some of you in this room right now will be some of the most influential and instrumental people in her life as you lead her and disciple her, as you teach her lessons about God that I can't teach her, and she will learn about these things in church. As you can tell, my life revolves around church. And I've realized something, not because I'm a pastor, because at different seasons of my life or when I go on vacation, I'm searching for a way to connect to church. It's not because I'm a pastor, because I'm forced to be here. It's because I'm a follower of Christ. I identify myself as the bride of Christ. And I'm sure that if we were to go around the room and if we were honest, we would also say a very, we've had a very similar experience with church. Like I said, it's not always been great. Sometimes it's not always been good. But oftentimes I've realized that it's been my connection to the church in the bad seasons that God has been able to turn around the things the enemy meant for harm for my good. And that's because of the church. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus says, I will build my church. Now I have a question for you. You know, like, does hearing this, does this stir us online? Does it stir you in Buffalo? Does this stir you with an understanding or a reality of why we are so aggressive about being in church? Why, as soon as we could open the doors to the church, we opened the doors to the church, not because we had to. We had a really great excuse not to but we opened the doors to the church because the church is more than a building. And, and so many of you are familiar with the scripture in Proverbs 31. You, you'll know it as, it's the scripture about the godly woman, right? It's, it's basically the scripture 
of why I'm so thankful that I'm a man, right? Because trying to live up to this standard of what a godly woman looks like. Yes, you are welcome, whoever said that. Is next to impossible. And, and in fact, uh, if, you, if you're familiar at all with the Jewish customs or traditions, you'll know that on Sabbath, which is their Friday night to Saturday night, they spend this time really separated. One of the things that is a part of this customary tradition is blessing. And what a husband will do is he'll bless the children and then he'll bless his wife, which is something that Danielle and I have adopted and it's a phenomenal thing that we do. And, and I don't bless her like this. I just say nice things about her. They have a way, there's more rigid. What they do is, is that they, they, they go through Proverbs 31 and the husband will bless his wife with this scripture, okay? And this is so cool. Uh, and I, didn't, I, I, I learned this from studying about this is that actually what Proverbs 31 is, is it's an acrostic poem. Okay, does everybody know what a acrostic poem is? And, and, and each, I'll tell you, and each of what it is is that it's like, you know, if I was to say it about Danielle, I would say Danielle is A, she's awesome. Danielle is B, she's beautiful. Danielle is C, she's creative, okay? And what Proverbs chapter 31 is, is all about is it's actually an acrostic poem of all of the Hebrew letters. And so what it is, is the husband saying to his wife that the splendor of who you are can't even be contained by all of the letters in the alphabet, okay? Right, so it's so amazing. And so we see this in this passage of scripture is that Jesus, right? Have a moment, ladies, have a moment. That's why I'm here. That is why I exist is, okay? I know, all the ladies, all the men are like, oh, shoot. Like, I got to do an acrostic poem every Friday night? This is crazy. But we see this. We see that in, in these types and shadows that are all spread throughout, uh, all throughout scriptures is that Jesus is in the Old Testament through the prophets and the, 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 the land of Israel or through the New Testament. We see that Jesus is obsessed with his church. And when we read the scriptures, if you didn't know this, the Bible, the whole scriptures is about Jesus, right? Jesus, if you didn't know this, there's a lot of characters in the Bible, but Jesus is, he's kind of the main show, right? The Old Testament is prophesying about him. The New Testament is explaining how we can come into relationship and be transformed because of him. Scripture is about Jesus. And I've realized something that scripture so often talks to us about that Jesus is the husband and that we as the church are the bride of Christ. And so I began to wonder as I was thinking through today's teaching is that I wonder if Proverbs 31 isn't actually a chapter that's intended to make all women feel like losers. <laughs> that is actually a picture of Jesus, the husband, blessing his wife, the bride, okay? So I'm gonna do something really quick. I'm gonna read this and from the Passion Translation. If you've never read the Passion Translation, I learned recently that the Passion Translation is a translation of the Bible that is translated from, I believe it's Arabic. 
Aramaic, which is the which is essentially the closest to the way that Jesus would have actually spoke or the way that it would have been originally read. And so it's a wildly romantic, graphic, uh, emotional translation of scripture. But this is, act, like you have to remember that God bless the English, but they are not super great with the whole emotion thing. And King James, the Bible is not called King James because they randomly picked words out of a hat. King James actually had it translated into English. And so sometimes we can forget this emotion that Jesus experiences for his people. So I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna read this uh, Proverbs 31. I'm gonna just skim through a couple of, I'm gonna go through the whole thing, just a couple of scriptures. And I'm gonna change. Normally he talks about a wife and I'm going to, for fun, not because I'm trying to change the scriptures. Uh, I'm going to change it to the church. Okay, so this is, I'll give you an example. Proverbs 31 verse 10 says this. Who could ever find a wife like this one? This is going to make me cry because it's so good. <laughs> Just bear with me, folks. I preempted the cry, so it should make you feel better. <laughs> she is a woman of strength and mighty valor. She's full of wealth and wisdom the price paid for her was greater than many jewels. So let's change it like this. Who could ever find a church like this one? Christ's church is full of strength and mighty valor. The church is full of wealth and wisdom. The price paid for the church was greater than many jewels. Verse 13 says that the church searches out continually to possess that which is pure and righteous. The church gives out revelation truth to feed others. Verse 18, the church tastes and experiences a better substance and her shining light will not be extinguished no matter how dark the night. She, the church, is known by her extravagant generosity to the poor, for she always reaches out her hand to those in need. Verse 23, her husband Jesus is famous and admired by all. Verse 24, for even her righteousness, for, for the works of righteousness she does for the benefit of her enemies. Verse 29 and 30 says this, there are many valiant and noble ones, but you have ascended above them all. I've changed this for culture's sake. Popularity can be misleading and followers, wealth, and worldly clout is vain and fades so quickly. But the church, the bride of Christ lives in the wonder, the awe, and the fear of the Lord. She will be praised throughout eternity. Come on, that is just, right? This is Jesus Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, which is essentially Jesus talking about his bride, the church, and, and how Jesus feels about the church, and why the church, and the relationships that are created inside of the church, and, and the experience that we have in the church is unlike, it was designed to be unlike anything else. That it can exhaust even the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. His love, his intention, his desire 
for the church. And I wanna ask you a question in this room in Buffalo watching online. Does this connect with us emotionally? As we hear about the church, as we hear about the way Jesus feels and his intention towards the church, the, his love for the church, his passion for the church, the purpose of the church. Does it connect with us emotionally? And, and if it doesn't, I, w- I wanna say that that's okay, but I wanna ask this question. What's missing from our life? We feel maybe like life's not working. We feel like we're caught up in the media whirlwind. We feel the fear, the the terror. We feel the instability. We feel the frustration that's happening around us. Maybe you're in this room or you're watching online and you're feeling alone. You're feeling like you're lacking that meaningful connection to people that that you've never been aware of the feelings that are on the inside of you and you're looking for someone to connect with, but we just don't have the ability to find that person. I wanna ask what's missing in our life. Now, I wanna shift gears for a moment and suggest really a shift in mindset. And saying that can sometimes seem a little bit gimmicky, but I'm hoping that you hear this as more than just a play on words. Because I think that it's very valuable, especially in the season that we're in where church is concerned and the pressure that we can feel, good or bad. And please don't hear me for those of you watching online. This is not condemning. This is just... I'm doing my best to interpret scriptures for us about the value of church. And, and I want to suggest that we have to change the way that we think about church. And, and I, I thought about this, that because you see, we don't just go to church. Because I realize this, if you go to a church, you can leave a church. If you go to a church, you can just not go to a church. But I've realized something, and the more that I pastor in the years that go by in my life, I realize that the church is not a destination. And I, I think that going through this season where we were forced to meet online, I think it solidified in me that the church is not a destination. It's not something that we have to just go to. The church is not a place is that is an identity. It's it's something that we take on as who we are, that, that the church is not a building, that the church is a people, that, that what comprises the church isn't the four walls, but, but it's that we are connectively and interconnectively doing life together and influencing and challenging and discipling and meeting and talking and helping. And that's what the church is all about. You see, I can't go to church and not go to church because the church is in me. It's, it's who I am. It's what I'm about. It's, it's, I need you in my life the same way I need oxygen. And what makes my life good is you. And it's being around you and with you. And it's the community and it's the worship and it's the teaching. And it's, it's a part of who I am. It's, it's not something that I do. It's not something that I go to. It's, it's an identity. And And I believe this is what Jesus is talking about where church is concerned, that as he's praising her, he's trying to help us understand this is more than a place. 
And if it's still a place to you, then you're missing you're, you're missing the fruit. You're missing the goodness of what we have to experience being a part of this body. We don't go to church. We are the church, and we exist for the world. It's really interesting to me that in Jesus' first mention of his church, okay, not we're not talking about the synagogue and the different things because they all went to church, but when Jesus is talking about his church, he says, I will build my church. He doesn't say that I will build my church and we will care for widows. Although we know in Jesus's ministry, the, the, the outcasts, the marginalized, the downtrodden, Jesus was very interested. I mean, to the degree of being a social outcast, very interested in ministering to those people, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I will build my church and there will be peace on earth, although we know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and he came to earth to bring peace. This is what he says. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, I think that that statement is so valuable and can also be so easily overlooked. I, I think that he's speaking to us about his church, and then on the tail end of that, he's telling us, this is the identity of who I want you to be as the church. He's letting us know that we're not gathering together just because it's like a fun, easygoing, nice thing to do. Although, I hope that you are having a fun, nice, easygoing time right now. He's letting us know that we are the church and we are engaged in a spiritual battle for the lives and the salvation of our families, our friends, our neighbors, the people that we exist around. This is my identity. I'm called to battle. So I wanna ask again, what's missing? And I thought about it, maybe it's that we're not engaged in the war. We're not engaged with the war that we have been created to fight. That we have been anointed and gifted and conditioned and every encounter has brought us closer to the reality and the understanding and the intimacy that's necessary to carry the weapons that are required to win back our culture. As the church, we've been created to fight for the lost. Now, it's good to realize that we're in a battle, okay? And I can remember this when I was in university. Uh, it's good for you to remember that you're in a battle. I can remember uh, going to a party, and this was kind of during my, I really met Jesus and then I really, really backslid. Okay, so this is during this season of time. And uh, I was at a party and there may or may not have been alcohol involved in this story. And I can remember a whole bunch of people in a room and there was people who came to this party that I kind of knew, but they were like in a different program and whatever, so we weren't really friends. And 
this guy came over to me and, you know, he was like, hey, and he like punched me in the arm, okay? Now, if you're a man, you'll recognize that a punch in the arm can actually be, as painful as it is, a bro-esque greeting, okay? And so he punches me in the arm, and I did what I felt was appropriate in this moment, is I punched him back in the arm, and I was like, hey, okay? And then he puts me in a headlock, and he's like, hey, and I'm like, also, this is, as strange as it is, a kind of bro greeting. You put your buddy in a headlock and maybe like noogie him a little. And so I pushed him away and I was like, hey. And then I kind of pushed him away far enough to get to the other side of the room. And he then runs at me. And I'm realizing as he's running at me, these were not friendly hellos. And he like tackles me into the wall. Like my butt goes through the, uh, like the drywall. And I, it's speed little fisticuffs, okay? As I'm realizing, this was, I'm in a battle. And we're fighting for whatever reason, I still don't know. Something happened and now we're in a battle. And it's important to realize when, when you're in a battle. And we're in a battle. But it's important to remember that we're in a battle not against flesh and blood. Scripture tells us this. Your battle is not your boss. Your battle is not your neighbor. Your battle is not mask or non-mask wearers. Your battle is not against the media. Your battle is not against who voted for who and who should be in office and who shouldn't be in office. The scripture says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but we have an enemy that we are called to be in a war. We are called to be, like we read in Proverbs 31, light. We are called to live with a light that is inextinguishable, even in the midst of darkness. That we are called to be a force of love inside and around our communities. That we are called to push back the darkness. So ask again, what's missing? Maybe it's that we are not engaged in the spiritual war. Because I want to tell you something, whether you see yourself as anointed or not, whether you feel called or qualified, whether you feel like you got the right words or the wrong words, whether you feel like you haven't been saved long enough or you feel like you've been saved too long, each and every one of us, we are all called to engage in this battle. We are called to give the life, the light, the love that we have experienced in this place. And we are called to display as the church, the invisible God through our visible lives. So I wanna say this to you, however you can engage, engage. Maybe it's engage inside of the community of our church. Maybe you need that iron sharpens iron. Maybe you need the love or the acceptance. Maybe you're going through a difficult time. Maybe you need somebody to challenge you or disciple you. Maybe you need somebody to walk you through some inner healing or some trauma that you have in your life. Or 
Maybe you feel like you need to engage in prayer times and, and you want to be like a spiritual warrior in prayer and you want to bombard the gates of heaven and you want to call those things and bind the things and loose the things and call the earth to be like, maybe that's how you want to engage. Maybe you want to engage through serving. We have so many departments or so many areas or places that we can connect you with to serve inside of the local church. Maybe it's that you want to give. Maybe you see the value of what God is doing and we're always advancing and you say, this is how I want to engage. I want to use my resources to empower what you're doing. Maybe, and I want to say all of us are called to engage by inviting people who we know need this gospel to come into this place. Can I tell you something? I thought about this just this morning as I was getting ready. Every single person is welcome here. Yeah. Let me say that again. Yeah. Every single, because sometimes, you know, we know people and we know like that person needs to go to church, but I could never bring that person to church, right? Because I don't even know if they would be allowed. They're so crazy and they're so busted up and beat down and broken. I don't even know if they, I want to tell you, everyone is welcome in Jesus's church. This is why we exist, that we are not spiritual consumers, but we are spiritual contributors. That every part, like the scripture tells us, every part of the body is important. And can I tell you something as I close? This life that I'm talking about, this reality, this engagement, this experience is, well, I love you streaming online. It's not something that you get by randomly clicking on a stream every once in a while. I don't know about you, but I watched some YouTube videos of some people, but I learned a harsh reality. Those people, they are my friends. I don't know them. I'm not in their community. And when you want the life, you need the life. When you realize something is missing from my life, I need to connect to what God is doing inside a local church. Now, maybe you can't get here. Maybe all those things. Can I tell you, we have so many ways, so many programs that wherever you are in the world, maybe you physically can't get to the building. But I tell you something, you can still engage with community. Yes. The church is not somewhere that we go. The church is a search and rescue team that's designed to go into the world. The highways, the byways, the places where people are lost and hurting and broken. That's what we're called to do. We are people that are full of faith and not fear. We are people who are unified, unified against our one and only enemy. And we have one mission. And that mission is leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Lord, we thank you so much for this time we spend together. God, we know that your presence is alive in this place. And as I pray, Lord, I'm just asking that for each and every man, woman, child, every person online in one of our campuses in this room who feels this call, the call to engage in a battle, Lord, would you stir our hearts.
to be used by you. Really quickly, I'm going to ask that in all of our campuses, everywhere that's watching, maybe you've heard this story, maybe you heard me talk about this amazing Jesus, or you say, I want to be a part of this church, but you've never come into relationship with Jesus, or maybe you find yourself right now, you're far away, you're like that person I saw in the store, just feels so far away, so disconnected from God. Scripture tells us very clearly that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother, that he's with us in that very moment. So I'm gonna invite you and I'm gonna ask all of us in our campuses in this room, let's just pray this prayer, repeat it after me together as we just reconfirm our faith and belief in Jesus. Say, Heavenly Father, Father, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I receive him as my savior, as my Lord. Jesus, I invite you into my life. Lead me, guide me, and use me to win this war.